0: As we continue in our New Testament study of people who encountered God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ, we'll be looking at the amazing interactions between Jesus and a certain family who had befriended him. Today's lesson includes one of my favorite sections of Scripture where the revelation of God's grace is so powerful that I know it will affect us deeply. Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary lived in Bethany just two miles from Jerusalem. They were close friends of Jesus and he frequently stayed with them when visiting the temple. The first time that we meet Martha and Mary is in Luke chapter 10 verse 38 to 42 where Luke describes some initial tension between the two sisters. Martha's name meant lady of the house or mistress, and she certainly seems to be in charge as she is the one to open their home to Christ. Martha often gets criticized for her busyness, but, you know, I think that many of us can identify with her because if Jesus came to our house, we too would want everything to be in order for him. Martha was a hard worker, and while there's nothing wrong with that, we're told she resented her sister for listening to Christ's teaching rather than helping her in the kitchen. In those days, few rabbis would have ever allowed a woman to sit at their feet and learn from them, and yet Jesus not only welcomed Mary's devotion, he was not willing to push her out to help with the cooking. Instead, Jesus lovingly helped Martha to see that she was worried about things that, in the end, had no eternal value as his teaching had. Martha often comes off poorly in comparison with her sister Mary, but God continued to work in her heart, as is evidenced in what happened in John chapter 11 when Lazarus was deathly ill. Verse 1 Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. These two women loved Jesus, they knew that God had anointed him most powerfully and that he not only spoke with authority, but he was able to perform miracles as well. So when their brother Lazarus fell terribly ill, their first thought was to immediately send for Christ to ask him to heal Lazarus. As the story opens, Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan River, a full day's journey from Bethany. We're told that upon receiving the sister's message, Jesus told the messenger that this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then he did a very unexpected thing. John tells us in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. It's worth noting that Jesus did not say that Lazarus would not die. He merely promised that this tragic situation would not end with death. And whereas I'm sure the messenger immediately returned to the sisters, eager to give them the good news, Jesus delayed two more days before going to their aid. We'll soon discover that by the time Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. If you work out the timing, that means that Lazarus must have died soon after the messenger had set out. Think about it. Day one, the messenger travels to Jesus and Lazarus dies soon after he left. Day two, the messenger returns to the sisters while Jesus stays where he was. Day three, Jesus waits yet another day before setting out. Day four, Christ arrives in Bethany and is told that Lazarus has been dead four days. And that makes me wonder what the sisters thought of the messenger's report when he got back to Bethany on the second day. Can you imagine the sadness that they must have felt when the messenger rushed in with the news that Jesus says this sickness will not end in death and their beloved brother was already gone. I imagine that the sisters and their friends had many questions about the message Christ had sent. If he was the Messiah as they had hoped, how could he have been so wrong about things? How could he not have known? They also must have wondered why Christ didn't immediately return with the messenger. What did that indicate about his love for them? For though John is careful to tell his readers that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, they surely struggled to understand why he had not quickly intervened. Why had he delayed? Isn't that so like us, though, when God allows an unexplained circumstance to arise in our own lives, and we also wonder why God has done nothing to stop it? At times like that, I like to remind myself that his love for me is never in question. I've come to believe with all my heart that his grace is at work even when our world is shattered and it seems like he doesn't care. When Jesus told the disciples that they were going to Bethany, they voiced their concerns. The Jewish leaders had recently tried to stone Jesus, and so Jerusalem and the surrounding area was very dangerous for him. Jesus reassured them and explained, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Though his disciples knew only that Lazarus was ill, Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead. But he also knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. That's why he likened his friend's death to sleep as something temporary. I love how the disciples didn't understand at this point. Sometimes it encourages me to see that they struggled to realize Christ's power. Jesus didn't leave them in their confusion, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus knew that his disciples' faith would be strengthened by what they were about to witness, and he admitted to being glad for their sakes that he'd not been in Bethany so that they might see and believe that indeed nothing is impossible for him. And so they headed to Mary and Martha's house. John picks up the story in verse 20, saying, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's actions here show us just how much her priorities had changed. There was a new urgency in her relationship with the Lord. She had some deep questions that needed answering and she wasn't going to wait to bring those to Jesus. She was the first one to go out to meet Christ. Her personality hadn't changed, just its focus. We can almost hear her heartbreak and regret as she declares, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think that this is an accusation as much as it was one of those comforting things those in grief often repeat to each other over and over again as they struggle to deal with their loss. I can imagine Mary and Martha consoling themselves with just such an expression. But even in the midst of their loss and confusion, Martha addresses Jesus as Lord, using a term that essentially meant my owner or my leader. And by faith, she insists, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It is perhaps true that Martha didn't exactly know what Jesus could do in the situation, but she was convinced that he could do whatever he willed. He promised her in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha knew that they would see Lazarus in the final resurrection when the dead were raised on the day of judgment. But that was the only resurrection she knew about. Then Jesus spoke an even greater hope into her hurting heart, promising eternal life for all who believe in him. And that is the most important grace we encounter in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the life and the resurrection we all so desperately need. This physical life we have is not the whole story because it's only temporary. God has provided eternal life to those who believe in Jesus. That is the hope he gave Martha. And his words to her on that painful day have comforted millions of believers ever since. And I love how she answers him in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha declares with certainty that Christ is the promised Messiah. She understands. Then she immediately runs to find her sister Mary, telling her that Jesus is asking for her. How that touches my heart because we see that even in the midst of her own grief, Martha wanted others to know the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Mary, followed by their visitors from Jerusalem, went out to him, and in her anguish, she says exactly what her sister had said only moments before. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There are no great words of faith from the woman who had sat at Christ's feet, only tears of grief, and filled with compassion, Do you know that verse 35, Jesus wept, is the shortest verse in the Bible, and yet how powerful it is. Jesus saw the heart-wrenching pain caused by death, and even though there were some murmuring against him in the crowd, he wept with compassion. But let me suggest that Jesus may also have been weeping for Lazarus, because he knew that he was about to call him back from the place of blessing. I think we often incorrectly focus on physical life being the most important blessing of all. Several years ago, I became seriously ill and was taken to hospital by ambulance. When I was admitted, a doctor and two nurses acting as witnesses asked for my end-of-life decisions as they really didn't expect me to live. As they filled in the paperwork, I remember quietly whispering to God that I didn't want to die. I had a husband I deeply loved and two children still in high school at the time. The Lord suddenly and very clearly spoke a thought into my mind. All of your days were written in my book before one of them came to be. Just because you've heard the doctor's concern, it does not mean that you have one day less than you ever did. I felt a calm come over my heart from that point on. Obviously, I was restored to health, as I'm here to tell you the story today. But I remember the very first time I returned to church after being in hospital for so long. During one of the worship songs, I started to cry as I sensed the powerful presence of God. But though I was so grateful to still be with my family... I'm still not sure if I was crying out of gratitude to be alive or if I was crying out of regret because I was not with the Lord in heaven. Because of that experience, I'm not sure if Jesus was crying for the grieving sisters and their friends or if he wept for Lazarus, whom he was about to call back from the place of blessing. Regardless, His tears show us that grace feels our pain and that God is moved by our suffering. No one could have imagined what Jesus was about to do. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. At that time, the Jews believed that the soul remained near the body for three days after death in the hope of returning to it. And they even used to carve a small window into their tombs for the soul of the person to depart through, After that time had elapsed, it has been mentioned several times in our text that this was now the fourth day Lazarus lay dead. Everyone present knew that not only was Lazarus dead, any hope they had held on to of that ever changing was gone forever. No wonder Martha was concerned by Christ's command to take away the stone. Then Jesus reminded her. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? As Jesus thanked God the Father in advance for answering his prayer, those present dutifully removed the stone. Then, in a loud voice, Jesus commanded, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's so much to take note of here. Let me begin by asking, if Jesus was going to raise Lazarus with a command, why not command the stone to roll away too? And why would Jesus ask those present to remove the grave clothes when he surely did not need their help? I believe it's evidence of his love for us how he invites us to be involved and to join him in the work that really only he can do. Though it is by God's grace that we are delivered from death, he invites his followers to be stone movers and grave clothes unwrappers. He invites us to help remove whatever obstacles stand in the way of someone responding to his call and to assist one another to live free of all that once bound us. If you're like me, you may well be wondering what that might look like day to day. In my experience, the first step in doing any of this is to look at my own heart and life. Am I the example I should be? Do my attitudes and actions express Christ's love, his kindness and his grace? Can others look at me and see him? And then we must pray. Only the Holy Spirit can truly set someone free. We're never to barge into someone's life with our words or actions, no matter how well intentioned. Before we ever speak a word, we need to pray specifically that the Holy Spirit would remove whatever might be holding someone back from responding to Christ. And we do the same for our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. We all need the loving assistance of other believers to step into the abundant life that God has planned for us. We cannot do it alone, and so we need to remind each other of what the scriptures say. We forgive each other when we fail. We strengthen each other when burdens become too heavy and when faith begins to weaken. Gently, humbly, and cheerfully, we follow Jesus together and just watch those grave clothes slip away. When I teach about Mary and Martha, people often ask me why I think Jesus delayed, why he allowed this hardship in the lives of three people he obviously loved when he could have prevented it. Jesus allowed this to happen so the disciples' faith could be strengthened. He knew how they would need that because of what was soon to follow. When we face something we would far rather not deal with, we would do well to remember that it's not always about us. Sometimes our pain is used as a catalyst for God's wider purposes as it was here. Do you remember at the very beginning of this passage, Jesus had promised that Lazarus's sickness would not end in death and that it was all for God's glory because God's son would be glorified through it. Many people think that Jesus was talking about the miracle he was about to do in raising Lazarus, but really God's plan was far greater than even that. This miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead was the event that finally led the religious leaders to send Jesus to the cross where our salvation was purchased and God was glorified in the face of his enemies. John tells us that many who saw Lazarus's resurrection believed in Christ, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Though they feigned concern at how the Romans might respond to Christ's growing popularity, the religious leaders were more worried, I think, about losing their own authority. And so when the high priest Caiaphas pronounced that, It was better that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Their plot to kill Jesus was set in motion. Because of this, Jesus and his disciples withdrew from Bethany to a city called Ephraim on the edge of the wilderness. But because all Jewish males had to be in Jerusalem for Passover, when Passover approached, Jesus returned to his friends in Bethany once more and a celebration was given in his honour. John reveals in John chapter 12 verse 2 that at that dinner, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume what a joyous occasion this must have been we haven't mentioned lazarus much in this lesson but wouldn't you like to know what he was thinking and feeling both sisters sought to bless christ for what he had done for their family in raising their brother from the dead Mary gave her most treasured possession, pouring a bottle of highly valuable perfume worth over a year's wages on his feet, and the fragrance of her perfume filled the house with its loveliness. Martha gave her gift of loving hospitality, and the delicious smells of her cooking was no less precious or welcome." Both of their offerings were sweet-smelling offerings to the Lord. Their gratitude was just expressed in different ways. But it was also a sad occasion in many ways because within days Jesus would be arrested and crucified. How precious it must have been, though, for these three friends of Jesus to look back afterwards on this meal and reflect on the one who loved them, and poured out his grace upon them so miraculously we've seen so much in the lives of mary and martha the sisters of lazarus of bethany what have they shown us about god's amazing grace well they've shown us that grace is at work even when our world is shattered and it seems as if god doesn't care his love for us is never in question This physical life that we so desperately cling to is not the whole story because it's only temporary. God, by his grace, has provided eternal life to those who believe in Jesus Christ, for he is the life and the resurrection we all so desperately need. Grace feels our pain and God is moved by our suffering. He weeps with us, but More than that, he invites us to join him in the work that only he can do, removing obstacles that keep people from believing and helping each other lay aside the things that bind us and keep us from following him. Loved ones, I think many of you know that I have faced my fair share of grief in these last years with the sudden death of my beloved husband, So what I share with you today, I know to be true in a very personal way. In any life, there will be times of heartache. There will be times that we struggle with the unexplained. But know this, God's love for you is never in question. True hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we turn to him, he can use our pain for his purposes. My prayer for us today is that we learn to trust Him and that we grow in His grace as we face all that life brings. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.